Please take your Bibles now and turn together to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, we come this evening to the second commandment in verses 4 to 6 of Exodus 20. We're going to take two weeks on this commandment. We'll do that with several of the commandments, not all of them. Uh, But tonight we consider what's forbidden, and Lord willing, the next time we're together in Exodus 20, we'll consider more the positive side of this command, what is required. I'm going to go ahead and read Exodus 20, uh, verse 1, down through verse 7, but again, our focus will be on verse 4 through 6, the second commandment. Please give your careful attention to God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water above under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Amen. Let's stop and pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your commandments. But we thank you that this is not your only word. That you've given us the whole counsel of God and you have given us your word in the flesh. But Lord, as we do give our attention now to this one particular commandment and even one aspect of it, Lord, we pray that our eyes would be turned in faith to you and to your Son and that you would give us hearts that would be ready to receive your word and that would desire to worship you according to your word for your honor and glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why are you here? What is the purpose of your life? Well, in the first commandment, your creator answered that question. He tells you the purpose of life. We've considered that in the past few weeks. He tells you why he made you. You live to know him and to worship him and serve him. The true God, to glorify him alone, to have him only as your God. This is life. But how do you do that? How do you worship God? How should you do this? What does that look like? Is there a right and a wrong way to worship God? Well, the second commandment says yes. If the first commandment told us who to worship... The second commandment tells us how. It says you are to worship God in his way. 
If life is about worship, then we had better know how to worship and why to worship. We had better understand God and what he wants of us in worship. How will you worship the living and true God? That's the question to wrestle with. And tonight we want to consider first how God does not want to be worshipped. What does he forbid? What does he rule out? And we're going to see some of the reasons for that and also consider some ramifications. Well, the point of the second commandment that I want you to hear tonight is this. God is to be worshipped in God's way. God wants to be worshipped in his revealed way. One writer put it this way. Worship the right God in the right way. The call to you then is to learn that way and to seek to practice it. Worship the Lord your God in his own way. Well, let's take a look at the text of the second commandment. And I want us to consider first the rule. The rule. Look again with me at verse 4 and following. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now we first need to be clear that God is not saying here in the second commandment that all art is bad. All images are forbidden. He's not forbidding sculpting, uh, painting, but rather he is forbidding the use of art and the use of our own creations in worship. He's forbidding worshiping the wrong God and also worshiping in the wrong way. He's forbidding false worship. Now, he says the image of anything in the universe, in heaven and earth and the water, it's really all-inclusive. None of these things are to be bowed down to or served. None of them are to be worshipped. All images of God or gods or of anything that's worshipped, this is all wrong. And forbidden. Now, on the surface, when you just first read and hear the commandment, it seems rather straightforward. Okay, I get it. We can't have a Buddha or a statue or some sort of idol in worship. I, I got it. Let's move on. But remember, the commandments are in some ways just the tip of the iceberg. Included in each commandment is a whole set of sins in that category. A carved image is the most blatant and obvious form of false worship. But much more is forbidden than that. Remember, the commandments are also spiritual. They govern the heart and our thoughts, not just outward acts. And so God's rule here forbids worship with images, which was very common in Israel's day. But this also includes worship with anything created by man. God is saying, don't come up with your own ways of worshiping me. Don't worship me the way the world does. Don't worship me the way you want to or you prefer. It may be creative. It may be beautiful. It may be heartfelt. It may be very meaningful. But, but no, that is not what I want. God warned his people about worshiping in the way of the nations around them. 
uh, conforming their practice to what they saw around them. Deuteronomy 12, verse 29 says, Take care that you be not ensnared to follow them. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. The first commandment forbids all worship that is not according to God's command. Worship that is carved from our imaginations, our own tastes or preferences, our good ideas, um, borrowed from the culture or even the surrounding church, but not according to God's word and to, according to what he wants. Worship how I've asked, says God, not how you might like. Now, this is, um, can be hard to understand and apply. It, it can be somewhat jarring because this contradicts a lot of the thinking of many Christians today. It contradicts the prevalent notion that how you worship doesn't matter as much as who you worship. As long as you're worshiping the true God, the how will work itself out and it's not as important. And especially if you're worshiping the right God and you're sincere, then you're good to go. But God says, yes, worship me with sincerity. And we're going to consider that more in the, in the third commandment. But it must be in my way. The how of worship does matter to God. Now, most Christians accept that God says there's only one way to heaven, but it can be easy for us to struggle with God saying there's one way to worship. Most of us are fine with the fact that there's one way to drive on the road, a right and a wrong way. There's a right and a wrong way to do, to do math or to spell a certain word, and we could give other examples. But we tend to not like the fact that God says there's one way to worship him. There's a right and a wrong way. God says we are not free to worship him in any way he is not commanded. In any way we come up with. That is his rule. And that's the rule that we need to see in God's word and in the commandment. It's, it's easier to understand the rule than to actually apply it. And we'll talk about that more in weeks to come. But that is the basic rule. And that then leads us to consider why. Why has God given us this principle? Why has he made this rule? Why is any worship that doesn't come from him, why is it forbidden? Well, let's consider second, the reasons. The reasons. Look again with me at verse 5 and following. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for, and here are the reasons, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God says in the second commandment, let me tell you who I am and how I am to be worshipped. And who I am shapes how I'm to be worshipped. And he gives reasons in the commandment for the command itself. And the first is that he is the Lord. He is the sovereign God. He has the right to tell his people how they should and shouldn't worship him. He also says here, I am God. And that is a massive statement. That's massively significant for worship. That means he is a spirit. 
That means he's infinite and eternal and invisible. He can't be represented by that which is finite and visible and physical. That means he's majestic and holy. He can't be worshipped with or as that which is earthly and unholy. Another reason he gives here is that he is your God. I am the Lord, your God. You are in a personal covenant relationship with him. He loves you. He has freed you and delivered you as he did Israel. You are now his. And he takes you and your love and your worship of him very seriously. And so he says here he's jealous. Um, you, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, kids, as you hear that word jealous, you might think that sounds negative. Uh, But this is a good jealousy. This is zeal and love for his people and for his worship. This is the jealousy of a husband for his wife. God is saying, don't worship me in the wrong way. Why? Because I love you. Because I can't have you giving your worship to another or to me in, in a mistaken way, in your own way. I won't have your hearts drawn away by that. God is jealous for you. He wants you to be committed to following him fully. Doing as he asks because he loves you and you love him who first loved you. Well, God gives one other reason and says, Worship in this way because there are serious consequences for not doing so. The the stakes are high, if you will. Look again at the second part of verse 5. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, when we first hear this, it can almost sound like God is saying he's unjust. If he doesn't get exactly what he wants, he lashes out and, and goes overboard and punishes the innocent to successive generations. And isn't the word hate extreme? But remember, the, the law is summarized with one word, love. That's what this commandment is all about. That's what all the other commandments are all about. And the opposite of that is hate. When you break God's law, it is an act of rebellion. It's really an act of of hatred towards God or towards your fellow man, if it's in the second table of the law. Uh, It is a personal offense against God. And God says failing to worship him his way is not love. In fact, it's hate. And that is strong language, but it's intentional and appropriate. God made you. God loved you when you were a sinner. And he wants your true love and worship in return. Anything less is is the opposite. It's hate and it deserves judgment. And so he makes it very clear there are serious consequences for this. Punishing the guilty to the third and fourth generation. Now what does that mean? Well, God says, when you don't worship me, when you worship me falsely, When you don't love me, there will be consequences. And it will come back to haunt you and even your children. Now we need to understand, God never never punishes unjustly. He never punishes the innocent. Even his punishment on 
the next generation is because they themselves are guilty before him. And each individual will be judged and punished by God for his or her own sin. But God does deal with families. A family is the most basic unit. And one's sin can affect everyone else, especially the sin of a father. It can have long-term consequences, generational consequences for sin and false worship and breaking the commandments. Of course, children can turn from that, and so often do, by God's grace. They can learn to worship him in truth, but often they learn a wrong way of life and a wrong way of worship, a wrong way of relating to their creator from their parents. And so the sin is perpetuated, the guilt is passed on. Now this can be hard to swallow, it can be hard to to understand, but I think part of that is because we don't understand the, the utter holiness and majesty and purity of God. His jealous zeal for his people, for you and for me, and for right, pure love in return and worship. And I think we also don't understand it because we stop reading at verse 5, and we don't read the end of the commandment. Listen to the final reason God gives. This balances out uh, the justice he speaks of in verse 5. Look at verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. But is an is a important word there. Showing steadfast love. That is his special saving love, his mercy, his grace. It's undeserved love. It's the love of sinners. And not just to the third and fourth generation, but to thousands. Grace triumphs over judgment and justice for those who love him and trust him and humble themselves and seek to love him and obey him by faith. What does God do? He pours out gracious love, undeserved grace that extends without end, that often has great generational blessings. God says, worship me in my way because you love me, and my steadfast love will be abundantly poured out on you and those around you and those who follow you without end. And so don't miss this incredible blessing And the incredible grace of God that he pours out on those who worship him in faith. Well, God has every reason. He has right reasons to ask for worship. For true, right worship from his people, from you and me. Because of who he is, because of who you are and what he's done and what he will do. He loves you. He loves you. Will you love him in return? Will you give him the praise that he is due? Well, that leads us then tonight, third and finally, to consider some ramifications. What does this mean for you and me? What are some implications of this rule and the reasons God gives us in the second commandment? Let's consider the ramifications. First of all, when you approach God in worship... Your attitude should be, I want to please my God. 
The question we should ask is, what does he want? What, what pleases him? Our focus is on him. It's not on what's in this for me. Or what would I like? What works? What draws a crowd? What fills a church? What stirs me up? Those are the wrong questions. Lord, you are God. This is about you. This is about your glory. Who you are and how I should respond to you. And when you let him answer those questions... You don't have to be afraid that worship will, will be boring and, and empty and meaningless. In fact, it will be most meaningful and relevant and life-giving and glorifying to him and will be most good for you as his people. His love will be poured out and it will impact generations. But this all means that we need to know God. And we need to take seriously and, and know what he wants. And we need to know the God of the Bible. Not the God of our imagination. Not the God of our expectation. Uh, but the God of the Bible. The God who is infinite. The God who is the eternal maker of the universe. The God who is holy and awesome. The Lord of hosts. The judge of all the earth. The God who loved you before the mountains had their birth and sent his only son to this world full of sin for you. God who is the creator. He is the creator and we are the creature. And it can never be the other way around. And yet he, the awesome holy God, the creator, jealously longs for you and for your worship. It is a big deal to him. Is it a big deal? Is it important to you? How you worship matters. The alternative is it really doesn't matter. And it's really just up to you as long as you mean well and you're worshiping the right God. But you see, either he says how he's to be worshiped or you do. Either God directs and regulates and instructs us for his worship or we do. But if we do, then it's, then it's a free-for-all. And the church will splinter in a thousand different directions because there are a thousand different preferences and opinions. And sadly, this is largely what has happened in recent history in the church. And sadly, this commandment is largely ignored or overlooked or unknown or explained away. And each new generation, each new group of people brings their own ideas but this actually leads to disunity and discord in the church. And, and it takes away from the simple, beautiful, united worship that God wants. I once heard a church radio ad that said, and this was from the biggest church in town. It said, a church is like a pair of jeans. Come check us out, try us on, and see if you like the fit. See if the ministry and worship suits you. Friends, is this what worship really is? Is this what it has become? Like shopping for jeans. A mere consumer decision. A matter of personal preference and fit. Is this how God views his church and his worship? His relationship with you that he jealously guards. That he's purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. 
Do we do church so that it fits us? Worship so that it feels good? Do we shop for what we want and what fits? God forbid. And God does forbid this. Here in his word in the second commandment. But will we humble ourselves before him? Will we listen and seek to follow him in faith? One of the striking stories from the life of Jesus is when he cleansed the temple. They'd begun to do what they wanted there in the temple. The temple and, and worship had become about men. It had become about convenience and commerce, not prayer and praise and the right worship of God. And Jesus displayed more righteous anger towards this than perhaps anything else. Now listen to how John describes the scene in John chapter 2. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was God in the flesh. And here on earth, he was jealous for pure worship. Zeal for his people's hearts and his father's worship consumed him. And the people were shocked by this. And they, they were offended. And they asked for a sign and a reason for why he did this. And his response was this. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And what he meant is that I'm going to die for you. And you're going to see that I am God. I am the real temple. I am God in the flesh. And I'm going to die and rise again in three days. You want to know why I'm so zealous for worship? You want to know why I'm so zealous for my father's house? Because it is going to cost my life. I am going to shed my blood. I'm dying to save a people from their sins. I'm going to die to save them from slavery and from self-worship and from death and give them life, a life of praise and worship of God. Jesus came to die for the church. He came to die and rise again for you, to make you into a beautiful, adoring bride and a glorious temple. He died for sinners and he simply asked them. He asks you in the second commandment to live for him, to thank him, to respond with worship that glorifies and exalts him. Can you imagine someone laying down their life to save you, dying to save you? Maybe it was a friend or a fellow soldier or a police officer. Think about what an, what an impact that would make on you forever. And if you could, would you not go to them with an overflowing heart, with tears of gratitude and say, how can I ever thank you? Or maybe you'd go to their family and say, how can I ever thank you and honor their memory? Well, people of God, Jesus has died for you. He has loved you. He's saved you. He has freed you. Will you look to him and ask, how can I thank you? How can I live for you and worship you? 
and give you honor and praise. Friends, God is to be worshipped in God's way out of love for him. He deserves it. He is worth it. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is your God. He loves you. He wants you. He wants your heart and your worship. Will you look to him and worship him in his way by faith uh, to the best of your ability and knowledge? Uh, That is what he wants from you. That is why Jesus died and rose for you so that you might give him worship and praise to his honor and glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess that so often we want our way rather than yours. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Father, we confess that it can be easy to understand certain things in your word, but much harder to apply them and understand how they ought to be rightly applied. And Lord, even if we seek to rightly apply them, our hearts can still be in the wrong place. And so, Lord, we ask that you would convict us of sin. We ask that you would remind us of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus for our sins, and that you would fill us with love for him and love for you, And that out of love, because you first loved us, we might desire to worship and glorify and honor you. Not in ways that we see fit, but in ways that you have revealed to us for your honor and glory. Father, we pray that you would do this for your name's sake and for our building up into the image of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Let's receive.